Happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. After 13 weeks and 168 games, we have a Sunbelt Conference champion. After winning the Sunbelt West Division in the regular season, Troy rolled past Coastal Carolina 45-26 to on Saturday to win their league-leading seventh Sunbelt Conference title in the first year of the John Summerall era. Caden, we've spent the last three months preparing ourselves for this game, and it didn't disappoint. We were at this game. Give us your overall impressions of Saturday's Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Well, it was great for both of us to be there. Anytime we can get in the house for any of these Sunbelt games is fantastic. And us being in the house for the championship game was just an electric environment. We were both on the field before the game, just feeling the energy of that Troy crowd. And you could tell just all weekend how big and special and important it was to that team and to that program and to that city having their team play in this championship. And I think we talked about it and had a lot of conversations with different people from Troy and the Sunbelt all weekend, just about the overall state of the conference. And I think this game it's no secret. We didn't pick pick either of these teams to be in the championship this year, but these are the two teams that were really the best winners in the conference. And they're both gritty and hard fought teams throughout the year. And I think that showed in this game. And I think shout out to Troy for pulling off the win in this one, obviously. And Coastal has a lot of other things to figure out off the field and on the field moving forward. But just a great electric environment. I think it was a really good testament and a great way to cap off the season for the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah, before we get into this game, let's give a big shout out to that Troy student section. They came out, they were loud from the start, probably five, 6,000 strong. They were right behind that coastal bench causing chaos. We, t- we heard Jamie Chadwell in that post-game press conference talk about how that made a difference in the game. They hung it through the rain. So that was a lot of fun to see. It was a great atmosphere at Veterans Memorial Stadium. Uh, and they got to watch a Troy team, Caden, win 45-26 to over Coastal Carolina. Troy winning the Sunbelt Conference title. We came into this year talking about the Wild West, the Big East, and it was the West who would go on to win this championship. Uh, Troy, they are Sunbelt champions, their seventh Sunbelt Conference title. But first, since this title game uh, became a thing back in 2018, John Summerall wins the title in his first year, taking a team, Caden, that was 5-7 and seven a year ago to New Heights. They're 11-2 and two this year and now a chance to win their 12th game in a bowl game. Troy also stretching that winning streak to 10 games in this contest. Caden, we started the week talking about the most important position in football being the quarterback position, but that on this game that it would probably be the least important position, particularly for Troy. I did also want to give you your kudos, though. You said that Gunnar Watson needed to be an elevator in this game. Gunnar Watson was very much that 12 of 17, threw for 318, three touchdowns. His first three touchdown performance since week two, he was named the MVP of this game, got to take home some sweet hardware. He had a huge performance for Troy in this game. Yeah, we talked about it going into this one. I mean, it hasn't been Troy's trademark, their staple of winning games has been elite quarterback play. And I looked at it coming into this game as something that could only make it better. And boy, did it make it better. Gunnar Watson was playing out of his mind to start the game. You really saw that Coastal Carolina was prepping for that rushing attack. That's been such a staple the past couple weeks for them. And Troy took advantage of that. They saw the box was loaded and they let Gunner cook. They let the offensive line and tight ends and running backs do a max protection passes with a two-man route concepts. And he was just firing on all cylinders with his, his receivers. Every time the ball left his hands, even being up in the press box, it just looked like he couldn't miss his guys. You saw a big game out of Rajay Johnson. You saw a big game out of Deshaun Stoudemire. He was hitting those guys. And there were some plays, and most of those plays, those were the only two guys running routes. It was really just two guys versus the entire coastal secondary. And Gunner was just killing him 
with this with his accuracy. So you have to give a shout out to him because he just did what we really didn't expect him to do. And he did it in the beginning of the game and he gave his team a big lead. And that ultimately is what led to their victory, just because the way they started off, they've played in a ton of close games. And now seeing this team being able to play up and not have to play from behind or play close, they played with a different even heightened level of confidence and energy. And they were feeding off of that home crowd like you were talking about. So I have to give a shout out to Gunner for really leading his team and getting them off to a really hot start in this one that they really didn't put their, take their foot off the gas from going forward. Gunner Watson gets his ring in this game and also walks away with that championship belt, which Caden, we have been able to confirm that the athletes get to keep. Talk about a great piece to put in a future office or maybe just wear while you're watching Sunbelt Conference games in the future. But Caden, I want to talk about another quarterback in this game, and that was Grayson McCall. It was probably the biggest story throughout the week. Would Grayson play? Caden, this story was so big that when I talked to my mom this morning on the phone, her first question to me was, did Grayson McCall play? That's how big of a story uh, this was. And Grayson did play in this game. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. You could easily see uh, there was some rust and that was expected. He would go on to throw it a season high 41 times, 29 completions, 319 yards, four touchdowns, had that rushing touchdown at the end of the first half, three more passing touchdowns in the second half, threw an interception. But Caden, he talked about the importance of playing in this game in the postgame press conference. And it wasn't a great day for Coastal Carolina, but it would have been much worse if Grayson hadn't played. Yeah, and then Coach Chadwell, you got to give a shout-out to you in this game. You were looking at the warm-ups and didn't really see Jared Guest around too much. And Coach Chadwell, after the game, said Jared Guest was not available for this game. So it was really on Grayson McCall to play in this one. And all week we were speculating if he would or not. And we kind of all knew in our heart of hearts, knowing the kind of competitor he is. And Coach Summerall talked about that as well as Grayson McCall just being positionless one of those players you just want on your team and we kind of all knew and had a feeling he was going to play in this one but you talked about it he had some rust in this game he had a slow start and I think if you are a quarterback coming back from an injury one of the last defenses in the country that you want to see is this Troy defense and they put it on him they're getting hits on him constantly they're making him uncomfortable whether that was in the pass game or in the run game so it took him a second to get going if you look at just the stats in this game you might not attribute the loss to anything he did but a lot of those were in the second half because he had a very very hard time up against this Troy defense in the first half. Their defense was clamping in the secondary. He really didn't have many throwing windows to get to. And in the run game, they were stuffing him in the option attack when he had to use his leg and be more mobile. They were all over that too. So you have to give kudos to him for trying to play in this game and doing the best he could. But you also have to give a shout out to Troy's defense because they haven't made it easy on anybody this year. And they definitely did not spare Grayson McCall on this one. Yeah, I think it was a great point you just made. Obviously, he he threw the ball fairly effectively, particularly in that second half. But Caden, all game long, he he looked like he couldn't really run. I mean, he did have that rushing touchdown, but that was not the same Grayson McCall from a dual threat perspective that we've come to expect uh, for Coastal Carolina. And Troy really keyed in on that, particularly in the first half, and that allowed them to you know cause a lot of problems. And that's why the scoreline was 31-7. Caden, it was 31-7 at the half, and it was a huge first half for Troy. They put 306 yards of total offense on the ground in that first half. They gave up just 140. Um, they gave up just seven points, and you know, Coastal Carolina had 18 total yards in the first quarter of this game that Troy defense put on a, a, a performance for the ages in the first half of this game. Yeah, obviously the offensive fireworks in the first half are going to be the highlight because that's not what we're just accustomed to seeing in Detroit. And it was definitely the story of the first half. But you also have to give credit to the defense. I mean, 
their offense was playing well, but they were also able to play well because they were given short fields by that defense. I mean, they were getting off the field three and outs left and right. Gunnar Watson getting the ball around the 50-yard line when he's already proven to start the game that he could drive the ball 80 yards in this game. So have to give a kudos to both sides of the ball for playing complimentary football. And when you see lopsided first halves, lopsided games, it's because of the combination of seeing great offensive play and great defensive play. We were watching the first half. It was a little bit of a snooze fest once those big plays were over. So anytime you can do that as a team, as a defense and an offense, you're doing the right thing. So Troy, coming off of that explosive fourth quarter they had in their game before, just adds to it with an explosive first half. And you have to wonder how much of that they can bring into their championship game as well, or their bowl game, sorry. Yeah, and I have to admit, too, I think the other aspect of that first half was they had great barbecue in the press box, Caden, and I know you and I were putting down that barbecue <laughs> during that snooze fest that was uh, late in that second that second quarter. But, Caden, uh, I'm a big World War II history guy. I love history, and there's a term that you know was used by the Germans back then. It's called the Blitzkrieg, and that means lightning war. And that's what it was for Troy in this first half. They got chunk play after chunk play. They had nine passing plays for over 15 yards in this game, six for greater than 20, and eight of those nine plays came in the first half. We saw Watson hitting Stoudemire. We saw Johnson with just that insane one-handed catch that ended up for a 67-yard touchdown. Kane, we expected chunk plays in this game, but I think we were considering the fact that they would probably come from the running game, but Coastal secondary that's been bad for most of the year was exposed in a big way, particularly in the first half. Yeah, and after the game, we heard Jamie Chabell say it really was something they expected, but it was just mental errors and mental lapses. They were rotating their corners constantly and putting different corners and safeties in this game, but they just simply did not have an answer for those deep crossing routes that Troy was hitting play after play after play. And we talked to Coach Summerall. He's kind of one of those coaches. He gets a pulse of his team. He sees what they're good at going into the game and makes his adjustments. We just talked to him, and he said there's games where they want to have games like that, but they were running the ball so effectively that they leaned into that. But in this game, this is what a Troy team looks like, where if their game plan and everything is going for them, they're firing on all cylinders, and that's what they look like. So this is what they anticipated happening in this game, and this is what it looks like when you execute and culminate in practice all week for what you think the other team's weakness will be, and that ends up being the weakness. So I have to give a shout-out to him all season for really leaning into the strengths of his team, but in this one, he leaned into that strength on the first play, and they just kept taking it off from there. So got to give credit to him the receiving core, those big plays too. You got to give credit to the guys up front for blocking and keeping guys like Gunnar Watson clean to make those plays because everything up front, out wide, everywhere for Troy's offense was working and they were expo definitely exposing the weaknesses that we saw in Coastal's defense in weeks prior. Every big game, Caden, needs an unlikely hero. And in this game, it was Rajay Johnson who had a career day, four catches, 134 yards, two touchdowns, that 67-yard touchdown catch in the second quarter. And Caden, he basically admitted in the post-game press conference that that football caught him and he was able to then run it in. And I thought it was interesting because you, a moment ago, you talked about the offensive line doing a great job of blocking on that play. They did. And Gunnar Watson took a shot, but he was still able to find Johnson who, who made a really nice play. Yeah. Listening to Rajay's comments after the game, you could tell he's just one of those guys, like many other guys on this team, older experienced veterans who are bought into the culture and really are just humble and don't ask for much. They're not me, me, me guys. He hasn't been a guy who's been crying for the ball all season. He's been a guy who's just been waiting for his turn to have a big game. And we talked about, I said in the pre-show, can Gunnar Watson play his best game of the season? Yes, he did. And he brought Rajay Johnson along with him. So you have to give credit to both of those guys for being in sync on a level they haven't been all year. And that offensive line, it's a tough job when you have to 
protect for a very long time for those deep balls. Those deep passes always look good on the highlight tapes, but it takes a long time to hold back a defense to be able to throw the ball in those positions. So that one, it got the best of them, but better offense is better than great defense every single time. Caden, I mean, when you talk about a quarterback being an elevator, it's not only elevating his play, but it's elevating the play of those around him. And in this game, Gunnar Watson did that with Rajay Johnson, Stoudemire, uh, even Tez Johnson got involved. He elevated that wide receiver core to a game that we have not seen from Troy this season. We have come to expect those strong rushing attacks from Troy. And Caden, this wasn't their best day. I mean, Coastal Carolina, give them credit in this game. They had clearly game-planned against the run, and how couldn't you after seeing Kamani Vidal run for over 400 yards in his last two games? But it was largely controlled by them. Billingsley had you know 57 yards on the ground. He did pick up three touchdowns, which tied a career high. Uh, net 93 yards on the ground for Troy, so under 100 yards. But you take out the sacks there, and they're over 100. So I'm basically saying it was a 100-yard rushing day. Billingsley and Vidal... Uh, combined for 110 yards on the ground. Troy's run game did what they needed to do, but their offense was clearly run by Gunnar Watson in this game. Yeah, in the same way that we saw weaknesses in the secondary for Coastal Carolina, up front in this game, their defense had weaknesses on the edges. They didn't run the ball very well, particularly Troy, that is, up the middle in this game. But anytime Kamani Baidal and DK Billingsley were able to bounce the ball outside, it works extremely well for them. I think on Billingsley's touchdowns and his long runs that we saw in this game, he didn't have anything up the middle, so he just bounced it outside and there was no edge on the defense and he was able to reach the end zone, especially after some of those long plays and drives that were created by Gunnar Watson in that offense. So you have to give credit to him for be really being able to finish off those drives. He was a big part of their red zone efficiency and just being able to turn those field goals that we custom to seeing from this team throughout the year into touchdowns. So three touchdowns for him and three touchdowns for Gunnar Watson, a huge part of this game as far as just being able to finish drives, start to finish and punch them into the end zone. Okay, and you're always told when you're giving criticism to first say something nice about someone, then give the criticism and then follow it up with something nice about them. So we give Coastal Carolina their flowers for largely controlling Troy's run game. But one area in this game, Caden, that they really struggled was on third down. And I don't think that was fully expected. This is a Troy team, or rather a Coastal Carolina team, that came in with the highest conversion percentage at over 45% this year on third downs. They would go just 4 of 13 in this game. And particularly, you noticed it in the first half. They were just 2 of 8. They could not convert on third down. And the punt unit was on the field a lot of this game for Coastal Carolina. Yeah, watching Troy's defense on third down was probably one of my favorite parts of the game just as a defensive nerd and junkie. We talked about heading into this game how Coastal's effectiveness on third down would be very predicated on how well they did on first and second down and how their style of offense really caters to them being in those third and medium, third and short situations with the amount of weapons and different pressure they can apply to a defense. But in that aspect, Troy's defense was on their P's and Q's. We talked about how important their mental preparation would be in this game, and they were clearly very gap sound and knew where to be everywhere in the run game. On those third down stuffs, Grayson would get the ball. He'd have multiple options, whether it's to pull it, to hand it off to his running back, or to pitch it. And there was a Troy defender on every single one of those guys, and there was really no decision to be made. And then once you get them on the first and second downs when Troy was playing well, and they get Troy on those third and long situations, it felt like you were just sending out Coastal Carolina's defense to the slaughter. I mean, they weren't converting third downs that were close ones. So when you get to the third and 10, third and 15 area, Troy just really pinned their ear backs, ears back, got to the pass rush, and on the back end were just absolutely clamping. So they could do no wrong on third down. This is an offense that we're accustomed to seeing do well on third down, but Troy just really elevated their game on third down this one and got off the field very well. 
Okay, and I have to admit, the more time I spend around you, the more I'm starting to enjoy defense. And I think next year, if we go to the conference championship game, we need to sell a seat next to you because I learned so much about defense in this game. And even you made the defensive aspect exciting for me. So I think uh, you definitely walk the walk and the talk. Um, Caden, here's the, you know, the other nice thing that I'm going to say about Coastal Carolina before we talk about Troy's defense a little bit. Coastal Carolina did a nice job in this game of creating havoc. They had four sacks and 10 TFLs. It just didn't really come in the right time of the game. This one was over by halftime, and a large portion of those stats came in the second half. Yeah, on offense and defense, if you look at the stats of this game, you're not going to think Coastal necessarily played a very bad game, but all you have to do is cut on the film. If you watch them in the first half, that pressure wasn't really getting there. Their run stopping was there pretty consistently throughout the game, but every other part of their defense was just not nearly as effective in the first half as it was in the second half. And Coach Summerall did say he wasn't very proud of how his team finished this game on both sides of the ball. I feel like they took their foot off of the gas a little bit, and that might also be a product of... Coastal really playing a lot better in the second half. And you have to wonder, looking back at this one, if they would have been able to play that well in the first half, how different this game could have been. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the biggest thing, though, for Troy is they have such a high floor. And that floor is created by how good this defense was. They, again, forced turnovers in this game. They had a fumble as well as just the second interception of the year thrown by Grayson McCall. They entered the weekend ranked third nationally in turnovers forced on the season. They would add on six QB hits. They were really in McCall's backfield a lot in this game. Three TFLs in a sack. Uh, Troy's defense did what they needed to do, Caden, but I think, like you just said, this was not their best game of the year. Yeah, in the first half, you can really tell that they were feeding off of the crowd and the energy and the excitement of the game because those dudes were just playing on their, with their hair on fire. You talk about guys like Del Pettis at the safety position just being all over the place. It was really a great game for the safety position as a whole, which is something I obviously love to see. Even guys like Craig Slocum, you saw him lined up out wide even on some of these receivers and just putting guys on the ground, being very physical in this game. I think the Troy defense was so beautiful to watch in the first half because it was just a culmination of preparedness. They were everywhere they had to be emotion and passion they were playing extremely with their hearts on their sleeve and really getting after it and just playing absolutely physical and I think in the second half coach Summerall did talk about how they were trying to be a little bit more protective over the top not give their lead and they were a little bit more vulnerable across the board just playing a different style of defense which is something we saw as well but I think if they would have played their style from the first half and brought that over the second half this game might have been even more lopsided but it just wasn't worth playing that style of defense with them being up so much ahead in this game. Hey, last thing on this game, Caden, the post-game atmosphere was electric in this one. We saw the goalposts come down at Veterans Memorial Stadium. Uh, we saw the fans rush the field for this one. And then I think the most underrated aspect of this entire championship game, Caden, was the power of the confetti cannon for the Sunbelt <laughs> Conference in this one. Over 80 pounds of confetti in like less than five seconds. It was overwhelming. But so much excitement on that field, and it was neat just to see the emotion from the Troy fans. They've talked about where this program had been and where it has been over the last couple of years. To see this team return Troy to the top of the mountain was exhilarating to be a part of. Yeah, and we have to give a shout out to the Sunbelt Conference for the amount of confetti because they did not waste a pound of it on this budget that they had for the confetti. We were covered in it, walking off of the field, felt like it was in my mouth, my eyes, my ears, my hair. It was everywhere. But no, it was funny. The Troy crowd in this game, you looked at the stadium and all week we were hoping that they would fill out the stadium and they have a pretty big stadium. It's a tough one to sell out. So it wasn't sold out in this game, but you wouldn't have known if you were someone who just couldn't see it visually. You could hear the crowd all game. You could feel the energy in the stadium. And I think 
everyone being on the field after the game is where you really got to see that. I mean, every individual that's in this Troy community, you can tell how much it means to them. And just seeing support staff on the field, seeing people that are donors for Troy, seeing people that have clearly been there for a long time. And we met some people that have lived in Troy their whole life. So you could just tell this football community is a very tight one and you could tell how important it was. And you have to give kudos to John Summer. I mean, doing this in your first season is a very tough thing to do. And he got his players bought into his culture. But I think it was very clear that the whole city of Troy was also bought into him and bought into this team this season. And it was great to see them be successful and end up on top. Hey, suffice it to say, we had a great weekend in Troy, Alabama. Much like Austin Stidham told us, there wasn't a ton to do other than football <laughs> and, you know, some restaurants. We did enjoy Sisters Cafe. Our server, Amy, hooked us up. Big shout out there to Barry McKnight, the radio verse for Troy. But a very welcoming atmosphere. We had a ton of fun. This was a great game. And now we look ahead to bowl season. Kane, but before we get to the polls, let's talk about one piece of news. Post game was really weird. In this one, obviously, anytime you go to a postgame press conference for a losing team, it's it's awkward. You've talked about being up on that stage uh, as a player that's just lost a game. You don't want to answer questions. Uh, and it got even more awkward because everyone knew that this was Jamie Chadwell's last game at Coastal Carolina. There had been rumors all week. And, you know, we find out on Sunday morning that he is leaving for Liberty University and you know, Caden, there's a lot of people in Conway that are blaming him for that and, you know, leaving Coastal Carolina, what he's built, saying it's a lesser job. But at the end of the day, Caden, it's really hard to walk away from a seven-year deal that's worth over $28 million, a raise of nearly $3 million per season. And you could see in that post game or the, the conference yesterday at Liberty, Jamie Chadwell was happy. And I think he really has earned this next opportunity. Uh, you know, obviously, this is a pro Sunbelt podcast, but for a guy, Jamie Chadwell, who's done a lot for this league, it's exciting to see him earn that next opportunity and that that large pay raise. Yeah, and for anyone who's a critic in this situation, I think they need to look at themselves in the mirror and ask themselves if they would be able to turn down that much money if they were in Jamie's shoes. He earned that money. He brought Coastal and this program up to heights that they hadn't reached before at the FBS level. He bought into his players, his players bought into him, and they really built a tradition and culture that was not built before, was non-existent before. And you can talk about how much of a distraction that could have been for the team. You could have talked about how the Grayson McCall injury could have been a distraction. This is a championship caliber team and a team that's used to being at the top of the conference. And you know with success comes these coaching rumors. I've been on teams where we've seen coaching turnover. We've seen rumors circulating about if our coach is going to stay or go. You're not going to be able to get into the team room and really hear the conversations between guys like Jamie Chabell and his team. But I can assure you that teams of that caliber, they don't let that be a distraction. When you're playing a football game, when you're before the game and it's pregame, you're not thinking about if your coach is going to be here or not. That's just not the case. So I think those are all bad excuses for what we could have seen in this game from Coastal Carolina. But have to give a hats off to Jamie Chabell. I mean, he deserved this. I think him getting that bag and him be moving on and being able to do great things is going to be great for his career moving forward. I think he will be a coach that we see at the Power 5 level in the next couple of years as well. And I think this Liberty job will be able to elevate him and get him to that plateau. And I'm very interested to see what the future of Coastal looks like for sure. But it's going to be a big question, I feel like, for them of how much of that culture that he instilled will be able to stay and will still be present. And I think that's going to determine a lot of their future success in this conference. Well, Jamie Chadwell exits Conway, South Carolina with a 39-22 and record. They were co-champions in 2020 with Louisiana 31-6 and six since 2020. This has been one of the best teams in the Sun Belt. And now as we get set to head into the offseason, the question will be, can they continue that strong play? Caden, it was crazy. They've already announced a new head coach in Conway. They were ready for this. Tim Beck, 
uh, the new head coach in Coastal Carolina. He was the former offensive coordinator for NC State. And Kane, I don't know if you saw this this morning, but Devin Leary's in the transfer portal. Could we see him go to Coastal Carolina and follow his offensive coordinator? That would be juicy. Uh, but Kane, we'll save all that talk for the offseason. And let's move into uh, you know the other piece of news that was announced yesterday, and that was the bowl games. And we've got some really juicy matchups that I'm excited to talk about. This will not be our extensive bowl preview. We're going to do an extensive bowl preview on each of these games, but this is more of an informational bite. Caden's got a couple of things that he's excited about in each one of these matchups. We'll give you everything you need to know in these games. And Caden, let's go ahead and start with the first bowl game. It's going to be a quick turnaround for Troy. They are going to play in the Cure Bowl. Uh, and, you know, this is a fun game because this is the only matchup between uh, conference champions, Troy taking on UTSA, also known as UT San Antonio. Um, both teams come into this game 11 and two, both teams ranked in the final college football playoff rankings at the end of the year. So 24 versus 25, uh, it'll be played in Exploria stadium in Orlando, Florida, a great venue that I've been to. And I would highly recommend that if you're listening to this pod, this is a fun place to go. Uh, it's going to be December 16th at 3 p.m. It'll be on ESPN. And right now, Caden Troy's a two-and-a-half-point favorite over-under at about 55-and-a-half. I mentioned that it'll be the only bowl matchup between conference champions. UTSA comes in 0-3 in program history in bowl games, losing last year to San Diego State. But I'm really excited about this game, Caden, and I think it's going to be a great showcase game, particularly against the UTSA team that's going to be joining the American next season. Yeah, well, first and foremost, Obviously, when you see a team of two conference championships champions in a bowl game, it's very exciting. And I know both teams are definitely excited to get this one out of the way early. You talked about it being a quick turnaround, but I know when those bowl projections come out, there's a lot of guys wondering if they're going to be home for Christmas, how much time they're going to be able to get in the offseason. I think these two teams are two of the most worthy as far as playing in an early bowl game and playing some really great competition. But you talked about it. This is an exciting matchup because this is just simply two winners. And if you look at the ways they won this season, they're actually both virtually identical. Troy loses in week one to Ole Miss and then in week three to App State. And UTSA also suffered a week one loss and a week three loss to Houston and Texas. And then from that point forward, they were both absolutely dominant going for 10 straight wins. And they're both looking for that 11th win in this one. But I think the storyline in this one is really going to come down to this UTSA def offense versus Troy's defense. We've talked in length about Troy's defense and how they've been so great in carrying this team this season. And they might be seeing their greatest challenge of the year in this one. And Conference UTSA, Conference USA, sorry, UTSA has the best offense. They score 38 points per game. They have 486 yards of offense. And if you haven't heard of the quarterback, Frank Harris, yet, go look that guy up because he's going to be a guy that Troy's going to have to key in on and contain in this one. He has over 3,000 yards in the air this season, 30 touchdowns in the air this season, and a great dual threat as well with 500 yards on the ground and nine rushing touchdowns. So Troy's defense is definitely going to have their work cut out for them, and I think that's going to be the most, they're just the best individual matchup to look at in this game as they face one of the best offenses really in the country this season. Well, hopefully that whet your appetite because we're going to be back on Monday, December 12th with a complete preview of that game. Caden, we've got a great lineup of guests uh, on tap for that preview, so definitely be watching out for that if you're a Troy Trojans fan. We'll move on. Lending Tree Bowl, Caden, between Southern Miss, who's 6-6 six and six on the year, Rice, who's 5-7, and seven, but because there wasn't enough bowl-eligible teams, uh, they had the highest APR, which is the academic performance score, so they actually get into a bowl game here at 5-7. and seven. This is another team that's currently in Conference USA that's going to be joining the American next year. So a couple of juicy matchups. And I think 
some room for bulletin board material for both of these conferences heading into next year. This game going to be played at the home of South Alabama at Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile, December 17th at 545 Eastern. Again on ESPN, Southern Miss coming in as a slight four-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Over-under, Caden, a bit low at 48-and-a-half, and you have to believe we're probably going to see some defense from both of these sides, both teams. And what I'm excited about, have strong defensive units. There's some question marks on offense for both sides. But Rice comes in the fourth best defense in Conference USA. And as we've talked about all season long, this is a Southern Miss defense that has been one of the best units in the Sun Belt. And I think we could see a defensive slugfest in this game, Kane. I know something you're excited about. It definitely is. And first of all, shout out to Rice for being a five-win team, getting into the bowl game with their academics, taking care of business off of the field. I think it's something that's not talked about a lot. And it's a huge shout out to them for being smart. This is definitely going to be a high IQ team I'm expecting to see against Southern Miss. But now you talked about it. This is two teams with very strong defenses, maybe not a bowl game that everyone's as excited about. But you know me as a defensive guy, I'm pumped for this one. And when you talk about Rice having a good defense, one of their really pillars and strongest parts of their defense is that secondary unit. They have the second best secondary statistically in Conference USA. They only give up 210 yards in the air per game. So I think it's going to be a huge talent challenge for Trey Lowe, for Jason Brownlee, for Ty Mims. I think if those guys can create some things going and they can really bounce off of and be complimentary with their rushing attack, they'll be very successful in this game. But I think another key to this one will be the big plays. You look at this team, it's a very highly ranked defense as far as a unit in Conference USA, but they do give up a lot of points. They give up 38 points per game. So I think if we can see Trey Lowe maybe hit Jason Brownlee on some of these deep passes, get Frank Gore Jr. going so you can get some play action plays and hit some deep shots. They have some weaknesses as far as defending the big play in this game, and I think that'll be huge as well. Kate, it's incredible to think that your GPA last year nearly got App State into a bowl game. They had a chance at five wins but if I remember right, they were like 13th or 14th in terms of five-win programs in terms of that APR. But we all know you were a good student, and you almost gave App State a chance to get into a bowl game. You would have clearly been the hero for that one. Caden, we're going to preview this game fully on Wednesday, December 14th. So if you're a Southern Miss fan, make sure you join us for that episode. We'll have some great interviews and a full breakdown of that contest. Caden, here's another game, and really, I'll keep saying this, but I'm excited about all these games. I think there's some great bowl matchups here. The next one, the Myrtle Beach Bowl between Marshall at 8-4, and UConn 6-6 on the season. They're an independent in the FBS. It's going to be played at Brooks Stadium in Conway, South Carolina. A friend of the podcast, Eric McLean, is going to be on the call for that game, and so we're definitely going to try to get him on the podcast as we lead into this game, but... It'll be December 19th at 2.30 on ESPN. Marshall comes in a nine-and-a-half point favorite over under, again, sitting at 40-and-a-half, so probably don't expect a ton of offense. Maybe the odds makers haven't seen Cam Fancher recently because he's been really good. UConn, though, Caden, comes in really hot. Winners of five of their last seven, including an upset of then number 19 Liberty on November 12th to become bowl eligible. So this one's juicy you have the team in Liberty that had their coach taken or took the coach from Coastal Carolina and then UConn who beat them playing in this game in Conway. So, you know, a few tie-ins, maybe some strings to, you know, pull in this game. 
Yeah, I've played the Myrtle Beach Bowl before. It's one that's special to my heart. It's definitely a fun game, and I'm excited to see both of these teams get to relax, see some different environments and weather that they're not used to for sure and play in this one. But you talked about it. This UConn team is frisky. They not they not only got that upset win over Liberty, but they also beat Boston College this year, Fresno State. They're very good at playing teams when the chips are kind of down and they're not expected to win. They've definitely overperformed this year. They've played in a lot of close games. They've been able to pull out wins. And I think you look at Marshall and, Lib- and, and UConn in this game, they both like to run the ball. UConn uses a ton of different running backs. I think this game will be won and lost in the trenches. But overall, I think the key to this game is going to be consistency. I think whichever team can play the best and win each quarter individually will win this game. And that sounds kind of cliche, but neither of these teams are really explosive as far as offensive attacks. They've never seen really an explosive quarter where they're scoring a bunch of, bunch of points and have a really big lead. They both kind of keep games close, play within their style. Whoever can play best and pull away late will win. But you talked about it. Fancher will be a key in this one too. They must not have done the research on this kid because he's only played in six games this season as a starter and has eight touchdown passes. UConn's quarterback, He's thrown for nine touchdown passes. He's been the starter all season. So I think, obviously, the quarterbacks will be playing against the defenses and not each other. But I think if Fancher can step up his game and maybe outplay UConn's quarterback, that'll be great for Marshall in this one, too. Great running backs, too. Kaylin Laborn, Rashina Lee, all expected to play. This one could be a lot of fun. If you're a Herd fan, mark the date, Friday, December 16th. That's when Caden and I will fully preview the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Caden, RNL Carriers, New Orleans Bowl, and another great matchup here. South Alabama at 10 and 2 versus a Western Kentucky team that puts points on the scoreboard all day long. Uh, this game is going to be played in the biggest venue of these bowl games at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans on December 21st. A really late start, and I'm not looking forward to that at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. South Alabama comes in as a two and a half point favorite. And unlike some of these other games, Caden, Vegas is expecting points, 64 and a half points, the over under on this game. Caden, here's what I'm excited about. We talked about him when they played Troy earlier this year, but Austin Reed, the quarterback for Western Kentucky, has been one of the nation's leading QBs this year. Over 4,200 passing yards on the season, 36 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio. We've talked about how good this South Alabama defense has been this year, but they're going to have a huge test against one of the best gunslingers in Division One. Speak for yourself for not being excited about this game being at 9 o'clock. I love watching Sunbelt teams get after it and be on the big stage and watching them late at night. But no, I'm really excited about this matchup. And a lot of that has to do with Austin Reed and this Western Kentucky offensive attack. This air raid is a tough one to slow down. And I think the key to this game is going to be very, very simple. Slow down that air raid passing attack. You've seen Austin Reed has been ranked at the top one or two or three all season in those statistics as far as throwing the ball. And I think you look at out wide, they have Malachi Corley, one of the best receivers in the nation too, he has over a thousand yards and he's a top guy in the conference. And I played this team in a bowl game last year, Western Kentucky. People are going to get very tired in these next couple episodes of hearing about Caden's experience in bowl games. So sorry guys, I played in a lot of them, but this Western Kentucky offensive attack, a very important key in this game is going to be obviously the defensive backs lined up against the receivers in the secondary. You're going to have to see big games out of guys like Ian Banks, like Jaden Voice, and like Daryl Luther. But I think up front is obviously not talked about quite as much. And I think that's going to be in key in this one. We played Bailey Zappi in this game last year. The defensive line for App State was not getting to him. He was back there patting the ball having a smoke break back there, looking through all of his reads and progressions and really turn the game into a seven-on-seven matchup, which is not fun. So I think if South Alabama, this defense that we like and talk about so much this season, if they can make this man, Austin Reed, get uncomfortable on some plays, get him off of schedule, maybe get some sacks and pressure on him, it's going to be a lot better game for them. And I think you look at guys like Carter Bradley and LaDamian Webb, 
they've proven they can play from behind, but you want them to be able to control the game with their own offense. And I think if they hold up their own end of the bargain on defense for South Alabama, we'll be able to see Carter Bradley not have to play catch up and not have to come from behind, but really get into their run game, get into their pass game and control the tempo of this game. But it's all going to start on defense and especially up front for South Alabama. Hey, we'll preview that game Monday, December 19th, ahead of that contest. A fun matchup there between Sunbelt and Conference USA. Caden, Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl, how do they find sponsors for these bowl games? That's what I'm trying (laughs) to figure out. Radiance Technologies, Louisiana versus Houston. Both teams come in 6-6. and Houston currently a member of the American. They're going to head to the Big 12 next season. Uh, But this game will be played at Independence Stadium in Shreveport, Louisiana on December 23rd at 3 p.m. Houston comes in a three-point favorite. Over-under sits at 59.5. Kane, I'm excited to see one of the premier offenses in Division I this season in terms of Houston. They're led by Clayton Toon, who's responsible for 42. I'll say it again, 42 touchdowns, 37 of them in the air. This is a Houston team. They've scored over 30 points in 11 of their 12 games. And you may remember back to a game that was played in November against SMU. 77 to 63 was the final score. It was one of the highest scoring games in Division I history. Houston played in that game. They did lose that game. But I expect to see some offensive firepower. And that concerns me a little bit for Louisiana without a guy like Ben Wooldridge at the helm. Yeah, you talk about it. I don't know where they get these sponsorships and ads and names for these bowl games, but we're definitely going to have to get on it and get a Frarian Smith bowl going here in the near future. But I think you look at this matchup, if you looked at these teams last year, this would be a 12-2 and Houston team versus a 13-1 and Louisiana team. They obviously both didn't have the seasons they were expecting, but both still have that type of championship pedigree and DNA in them, which makes me very excited for this matchup. But all that being said, you talked about the offensive firepower of Clayton Toon in this game. And just being honest, this Houston team is just more impressive on paper than this Louisiana team, despite having one more win than them. They have two overtime losses, one to Texas Tech and one to Tulane. They lost to Kansas early in the season when they were still hot. You talked about that absolute shootout they had against SMU. And I think talking about the shootouts and Clayton Toon and his capabilities in this game, the key in this one's going to be Louisiana's pass defense. We talked about the strength of their secondary this season, their ability to create turnovers and make plays on the ball with guys like Eric Garr, or guys like Braylon Tran. And I think in this game, it's going to be big of them to stop this passing attack or at least slow it down the best they can. And talk about Clayton Toon a lot, but they also have a receiver out wide, Nathaniel Dell, who just needs to be stopped in this game if they want to win. He's a water bug kind of guy. We like to call him. He's only 165 pounds. He's super shifty, but he ranks third in the nation in receiving yards. He has 1,300 yards on the season and leads the nation with touchdown grabs with 15 this season. So their secondary is going to have their work cut out for them. But I think they're going to have really clear direction as far as Louisiana goes is where they need a point and where they need to stop in this game. Okay, now I've got a great matchup for that Frary and Smith Bowl game. How about we go James Madison versus App State? Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll sign the contract right now. We can make it happen. <laughs> you call Chase Bryce. I'll call, I'll call Todd Centeno. Let's get this going, and then we can have uh, the guys you know, provide a pizza party afterwards. I think that would be a lot of fun. That might be a game that I would attend. But, Kane, we'll preview this Louisiana-Houston game on Wednesday, December 21st. So, Raging Cajun fans, make sure you stick around uh, for that preview. Camellia Bowl, Caden, after Christmas, you've talked a lot about wanting to play before Christmas. The last two bowl games are going to take place on December 27th in a personal favorite of yours, the state of Alabama, Georgia Southern at six and six, Buffalo at six and six. And this is going to be a matchup of Sunbelt versus Mac. 
Uh, this one will be played at the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama on December 27th at 12 p.m. Eastern. Georgia Southern comes in a four and a half point favorite over under at 64 and a half. Caden, here's the juicy thing that I love about this game. Kyle Van Trees gets to play his former team. He gets to show them what they were missing. Uh, he walked, or and they're going to be playing a Buffalo team that walked off Akron on a rescheduled game this past Friday to get to bowl eligibility. That game initially canceled due to snow accumulation in the Buffalo area. But, uh, Kane, this one will be a lot of fun, and I'm excited to see Kyle Van Trees go out there and maybe try to uh, put up some big numbers against his former team. Now, let me make it clear. When I was playing, we obviously wanted to get home as soon as we could, but I have played in games like the Camellia Bowl that are closer to Christmas. And the exciting thing about that is you're on that national stage. People are at home around the holidays just trying to kick back and watch some football. And you know that you're a part of that experience for them and you're going to have a lot of eyes on you. So I don't want the bowl committees or the Sunbelt coming after me about the dates of these games. But another exciting matchup, you talk about the return of Kyle Van Trees versus his former team, and they're going to be seeing a completely different version of this guy. I think at Buffalo last season, he had around 1,800 yards and eight touchdown passes. And this year, he's nearing 4,000 yards and 25 touchdown passes. So he's going to have a great little revenge game, I think, in this one and show them what would have been if they did keep him around and maybe did let him throw the ball a little bit more. But you look at this Buffalo team, they lost in bunches this year. They lost three games in a row on two different occasions. And that was really it. But I think the key to this matchup is going to be the individual matchup. There's a lot of good pieces and individual players in this one that I think will be able to have their fingerprints on this one. You look at guys like Jalen White on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to have to have a big game at the running back position. But you look on the other side of the ball, Buffalo has a linebacker in Sean Dolek who is an absolute sideline to sideline monster. He leads the Mac in tackles this season which 100, with 135 tackles on the year. So he's going to be all over Jalen White. So it's going to be fun to see who wins that matchup. And you talk about Kyle Van Trees and some of the turnovers he's had this season throwing some interceptions. Well, Buffalo safety Marcus Fuqua has seven interceptions on the season, leading the MAC as well. So I think that's going to be something to look at also. And you look at the wide receiving talent out wide for Georgia Southern with guys like Caleb Hood, like Derwin Burgess, like Jeremy Singleton. They're going to have to win out wide and they're going to have to win against good secondary players like that. So I think whoever in this matchup can maybe win those individual battles, get a 50-50 ball, make that one block or break that one tackle will ultimately be the winner in this game because I do think it will be a close matchup and obviously a lot of motion as well for guys like Kyle Van Trees. Okay, and I don't know if many fans know, but you really filled me in on a secret this weekend about these bowl games. There is a large amount of swag that you walk away with after these bowl games. So maybe the good thing of playing in a game after Christmas is you get double presents. You get the Christmas presents, and then two days later you get bowl presents. That is a benefit of playing in a bowl after Christmas. We're going to preview this Camellia Bowl on Friday, December 23rd. Uh, Kane, let's move on. Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. This one, actually, the sponsor makes a lot of sense. Ticket Smarter there. Make sure to go get uh, your tickets at Ticket Smarter. Uh, Coastal Carolina versus ECU. Kane, this one completely up in the air. We don't even know who's going to coach this game. We don't know which quarterbacks are going to play, but it could be a lot of fun. Coastal comes in 9-3, and three, ECU at 7-5. and five. Another team out of that American and a final chance here in bowl season to make a statement for the Sun Belt against an American team moving into next season. It'll be paid at Protective Stadium in Birmingham, Alabama. Another great venue if you've never been there. Uh, December 27th at 6.45 p.m. Eastern. ECU, one of the lone teams that comes in favored against a Sun Belt school in bowl season. They come in as a seven-point favorite, 59.5 the over-under. Kane, I talked about it a moment ago. We could, could see a juicy quarterback matchup in this one. Holden Ehlers, the quarterback for ECU, 23 touchdowns, five interceptions, over 3,400 yards this year through the air. And if 
Grayson McCall plays in this one, he could be the second part of that juicy matchup. 24 touchdowns, just two interceptions, 2,600 yards. And Caden, here's what's particularly fun. Both of these teams sport the worst passing defenses in their respective leagues. So those quarterbacks could have a lot of fun in this game. Yeah, you touched on it before. There's a lot of question marks. And for these games and these matchups, I've really been digging into the individual matchups and the X's and O's and what's going on on the field. But I think off the field might be more important for this Coastal team right now. Your coach leaves, probably some players thinking about doing the same. And there's a lot of time between right now and this ball game. So you have to wonder what things can change, what conversations will happen. Maybe it's better that you have more time in this game to kind of reestablish that culture and rebuild some new momentum heading into this game. So I ultimately think when you look at this one, the focus of Coastal Carolina and getting off to a fast start will be a key, just similar to what we saw in the conference championship game, what happens when they don't get off to a fast start and how that impacts them in this, in this team. And they're going to have to get off to a fast start in a hurry in this one because they're going up against the ECU team who's really tough and scrappy. If you watch them and you cut the film on, they will fight from start to finish. And that starts with quarterback Colton Ayers, who you talked about. He's a scrappy, unorthodox quarterback. He's left-handed. He'll run the ball a little bit. He has an interesting throwing motion. And you can tell this team trusts him and leans on them big to win games. I think if you look at ECU as a whole in the American, they're really one of the most balanced teams across the board. They're one of the few teams that has a top five offense and a top five defense, as well as a top five rushing and passing attack. So Coastal is going to need to be focused, be on their P's and Q's, and their secondary will have to be big in this game for them. We saw how they gave up some big plays in their last game and how that impacted them. And Ehlers loves throwing to his two big targets out wide and Isaiah Winstead and CJ Johnson. Those guys sit, stand at 6'4", 215 and 6'2", 220. So Coastal's secondary, they've had some struggles and they're definitely going to have to bring their lunch bill in this one because there are some big guys out wide that get a lot of targets and catch a lot of balls for this team. We will preview that Birmingham Bowl. It's going to come out our special gift to you the day after Christmas on Monday, December 26th, ahead of that game. Caden, unlike some Sunbelt football podcasts, we are just getting started. The regular season has come to an end. Championship concluded, but plenty of bowl games ahead. That'll do it for our Sunbelt Championship recap episode. A special congratulations to John Summerall, Brent Jones, and the Troy Trojans. Uh, for winning the Sunbelt title this year. And now with the regular season and conference championships in the rearview mirror, Caden, we will now turn our attention to an exciting bowl season that awaits. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday where, Caden, we're going to speak to a guy who is instrumental in making this podcast even happen. It'll be ESPN in college game day personality, Harry Lyles Jr. You might have seen him on Around the Horn as well as on the pre-show for college game day. He's going to talk about the Sunbelt regular season, his game day experience at App State. So Mountaineers fans, make sure you tune into that and so much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks so much for listening. Caden and I both really enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did, please take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, drop us a five-star rating or leave us a review. It really helps us out. Lastly, if you haven't already, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Prairie and Smith. You won't want to miss our exciting content leading into and throughout bowl season as well as into the offseason. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>